All right. Well, if you are joining us by live stream tonight, I know I'm not in the camera. You cannot see me, but I will speak to you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And I want to welcome everybody that is here and say thank you for being a part of our Wednesday night Bible study. We're going to get started tonight with some prayer requests as we normally do. So let me share with you some updates on some folks that we want to be praying for, and then I'll take some from you all, and you can share with me if you have any uh, prayer requests. So we do want to continue to just pray for Brandy Bailey. Many of y'all know that Brandy has cancer. Most of the time, Brandy and Kenny are with us on Wednesday night, but her doctor has told her due to the circumstances with COVID that they probably would do better to stay at home until the numbers came back down. And so I know it's really challenging on Brandy right now. She told me when I saw her uh, a couple of Sundays ago that she didn't really want to do that. But I said, Brandy, you need to do what your doctor asked you to do. I think that's the best thing for you to do. And so so y'all just be in prayer for Brandy and, and Kenny and just uh, for her cancer that she has. Y'all also continue to pray for Brother Tommy Karens. I did see Brother Tommy here on Sunday. It's good to have him back with us said it's been a slow recovery from the surgery, but he is doing much better, so we are grateful for that. But y'all continue to pray for him. He had prostate surgery uh, due to cancer, and it seems as though it was all contained in the prostate, and so everything is good uh, with the cancer. And so the bone scan came back clean. I think all the lymph nodes came back clean, so we're grateful for that as well. We want to continue to lift up Brother Tommy. Uh, also, uh, y'all lift up Kevin Johnson. We learned on Monday that Brother Kevin has COVID. Uh, he was tested uh, on Monday, started feeling bad, uh, went and got tested. And so he's at home. It's been a, a rough couple of days on him. Um, what makes it even more challenging is the week before that, Stacy had had the shingles. And so I don't know if she's fully over the shingles yet. And now he's home with COVID. Uh, so y'all just pray for Brother Kevin. Also, I uh, talked with Miss Pat Fowler today on the phone. We want to continue to pray for Brother Jack Fowler. If you didn't know, Brother Jack had a heart attack about, I guess it's been about a week ago now, hasn't it been, Brother Butch? And they took him to the cath lab, and he had a couple of blockages. Everything has gone well as a result of the stents they put in, and he's recovered well. When I talked to Miss Pat today, they said uh, she told me they're getting ready to move him to the rehab floor. They're thinking that maybe he needs to uh, at least go through a couple of weeks of rehab before they release him and come home. But she said overall they're doing really well. Uh, and so uh, so we just want to continue to pray for Brother Jack. Also, uh, y'all pray for Brother Joe Mitchell. Brother Joe had surgery on Tuesday uh, to reverse uh, the colostomy that he had, and also to repair a hernia. Altogether, it was about a five-hour surgery, uh, and then they've told him he's probably going to be in the hospital for about five to ten days. And so, talked with Miss um, Kathy today on the phone. Uh, of course, uh, he's he's sore, and it's just you know it's going to be a time a period of recovery for Brother Joe. But I know that they're glad to have that surgery over with to have things reversed, and hopefully he will be able to uh, get back on his feet, get home, and things will be better. I know it seems like the last couple of years it's been a very challenging time for he and Miss Kathy both. Uh, she had cancer and then his situation uh, that he went through, so it's been really, really challenging. 
So I know they would really could use our prayer right now. They were in good spirits when I visited with them there at the hospital. Uh, but y'all continue to pray for Brother Joe and his recovery. Are there others tonight that we would pray for? Yes, Miss uh, Jan. Okay, Shanda. Okay. All right. Excuse me one moment, Miss Jan. Oh, I've got it right here. Thank you, Brother uh, Phil. I know I had one earlier. I just don't know what I've done with it. All right, so we want to be in prayer for Miss Shanda. This is Miss Jan's uh, daughter that has a discovered she has cancer of the hand. And so we want to remember her in prayer. Is there others that we would? Yes, Miss Robin. Say that he, Jeremy Morgan, and he's, how is he kin to you, Miss Robin? Your first cousin. All right, so was in an accident. Jeremy Morgan was in an accident and is in ICU uh, at St. E. And so we want to pray for him as well. When y'all uh, share the prayer requests, I always state them again so people online can make sure that we can they're hearing the prayer request, so when we pray, they can join us in prayer. Miss Millie, did you have your hand up? Jessica and Lanice, all right. Okay, so we... Okay, Karen Day, okay. All right. We surely can. We'll pray for the educators for sure. Uh, it's Karen's mother. Karen Day's mother is in hospice, so we want to remember her in prayer. Uh, we also want to remember, Miss Millie said, the educators. Yes, ma'am. All right. Okay. Will surely be. Well, well, hopefully, maybe this will help him get his life turned around. I hope so. You said Robert Browning. All right, so we. Okay, we'll surely be praying for him. All right. Are there others tonight? Anyone else? We surely want to continue to pray, as I always encourage y'all to do. Continue to pray for our nation and the leaders of our nation. Uh, we want to lift them up in prayer. Uh, our president and then the new president-elect. Uh, you know, as I've shared with y'all at the end of the election, we may not all be happy necessarily about the person who was elected. I don't know where everybody falls along political lines, but I do know this. God's word tells us we need to pray for our leaders of our country. And so I think we have a responsibility to be in prayer for those who serve in those roles in our country and in our local government. Our first responders, we want to remember them as well. Lift them up in prayer. Uh, so I encourage you to do that. So I want to always hold that. Also, always pray for 
our men and women who serve in the armed forces. I know many times they find themselves in challenging places, difficulties uh, serving throughout the world. So we want to remember our armed forces. And at this time of the year, you know, um, uh, we want to remember our missionaries that serve throughout the world as well. Uh, this time of the year with Southern Baptist churches is the time of the year where we remember those who serve with the International Mission Board. We usually take an offering every time at this year that goes to help support them in the work they're doing. Uh, but many of them serve in very challenging areas, and they serve in some very dangerous areas as well, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with people who otherwise would never have an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, please be in prayer for our missionaries that serve uh, throughout the world sharing the gospel. They can always use our prayers. Are there others tonight? Have I overlooked anyone at all? I don't want to miss any. Jason, anybody offer any online tonight? None at all. Well, it's hard to believe that we're just a few days away from Christmas as well, uh, a time of the year that we get with our families and we celebrate uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, and so, and you know, it's sometimes, I don't know if you find yourself in this situation, but I sometimes find myself in this situation with the commercialization of Christmas. Sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the true meaning of Christmas. But really, Christmas is about celebrating the greatest gift of all, and that is the gift of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you gather with your family, I encourage you to remember that and take the opportunity to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ this Christmas. All right? Any other ones? All right. If there are no other ones tonight, we're going to, as usual, I encourage you to take some of the names that we have mentioned and you just pray for them silently right where you're at. Uh, I know there's been a lot, and maybe you have some other ones that, that could possibly be on your heart. You can lift them up before the throne of God. And then what I will do is I, after a few minutes of giving you an opportunity to pray where you're at, I will open us in a word of prayer. All right. So if you just want to take a few moments and lift up these requests that have been mentioned, then I'll open us in a word of prayer in just a moment. Father God, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to come into your presence tonight. Lord, we are always grateful that we can come and offer up the requests that are on our hearts. And Lord, we can leave them at your throne and know that you will work in each situation. And so, Father, we do want to lift up those in our church family who are going through challenging times with different illnesses, Lord, and just ask that you would provide the healing that their bodies need. I think about Brandy tonight and and Tommy Karen's Lord, I think about Brother Kevin Johnson as he's at home with COVID and Brother Jack Fowler as he's recovering from a heart attack. Brother Joe Mitchell, Lord, as he's recovering from surgery. Lord, I pray that you would touch uh, each one of these people. 
And Lord, that you would just provide the healing. You tell us in your word that you are the great physician. And so, Lord, we know that you can heal with a touch of your hand. And so, Lord, we pray that would take place uh, in their life, that you would restore their health and that they would be able to return back to their homes and continue with life as it was before. For the others that have been mentioned tonight, Lord, there have been a number of them that have been mentioned. I don't remember all of their names. I do recover, uh, reminded of a few, Lord. Uh, reminded of Shonda and Miss Karen's mother and Robert Brownie and Lord, several others that were mentioned tonight. You heard all of those requests and we pray that you would work in each one of those situations in your perfect way. For our educators, Lord, I know it's a very challenging time right now in the school system with all that is going on with COVID. And Lord, I know that's added a lot of extra stress to people's lives. So, Lord, I pray that you would just work and minister as teachers and administrators, Lord, serve uh, educating our children and, and just offering them an opportunity of learning. Father, we want to pray for our nation, first and foremost, that America would experience uh, revival, Lord, that we would turn our hearts and our eyes back upon um, the Lord God, realizing that he is the one who holds all of the answers to the challenging questions that we are facing. At the same time, Lord, I want to pray for our government leaders, that you would just give them wisdom as they guide us and direct us. You tell us in your, wor in, in your word, Lord, you command us to lift up our governmental leaders uh, before your throne and to pray for them. And so, Lord, we want to be faithful in doing that. So, Lord, we ask that you would work in their lives. For those who serve as first responders, Lord, who are on the front lines, Lord, Please keep them safe as well as those who uh, serve in our military across the world and even here in our nation. Lord, keep them safe at this time as well. Father, we pray for our missionaries who serve in many countries throughout the world, and some of them find themselves in very dangerous places sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Place a hedge of protection around their life, Lord. Keep them safe. And give them boldness for the purpose of sharing the gospel with the lost and dying world. Help us to be a congregation of people, a body of faith that will come alongside them and support them in prayer and support them through giving and through going and partnering with them. Lord, you have sent us out among the nations of the earth. You have given us the high privilege of making Christ known to a lost and dying world. Help us not to miss those opportunities. Father, as we approach the season of, of Christmas, help us to be mindful that the reason we celebrate Christmas is because of the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray as we approach that day that he would be the focus of our heart and our mind as we share this time with our friends and our relatives. Lord, as we prepare to open your word tonight as the body of Christ, come around us, teach us through your Holy Spirit. The desire of our heart is that we would know more about who you are and what it is that you desire of our lives. So guide us and direct us tonight. I pray that you would be honored and glorified in all that takes place. And we ask this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles tonight, I would ask that you go ahead and open them up to Matthew, the fifth chapter. Matthew, the fifth chapter. 
while you're turning there, I'm going to find a couple of people I've not had the opportunity to give uh, one of the sheets to yet. And so you just go ahead. How are you doing, Brother Tommy? Good, brother. Good to see you tonight. And if you'll go ahead and find your uh, place in where we left off, I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've been together. Yeah, I'll just give you another one then, brother. All right, does everybody have one? One of the, the study guides tonight as we come together around the Word of God? Well, I do want to just pause and say, Thanks, even though he's not here, I knew he would not uh, be here tonight to Brother Rodney for filling in for me last week. As many of you know, my family and I were on quarantine last week due to Brother Travis having the COVID virus. Uh, So we were out last week and the Sunday before, and Brother Richard and Brother Rodney both graciously filled in for me and, and stood in the pulpit while I was out. And so I'm very grateful to both of them uh, that they were able to do that. I was with you in spirit last week, though. I watched online just to make sure that everybody behaved. I wanted to make sure of that, that everybody was well-behaved for Brother Rodney uh, last Wednesday night. He did a great job, and I always appreciate him. I'm glad to have men in the church that I can entrust uh, the pulpit of the church to when I'm not able to be there. And so I'm always grateful to have a godly men who is willing to stand in the gap uh, for me. So uh, don't be surprised if sometime I don't approach you maybe and say, hey, I need you to fill in for a time. Always be ready. The Bible says be ready in season and out of season uh, to give a reason for the hope that you have in Christ Jesus. We all need to be able to do that as followers of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, but anyway, if you have your Bibles, we're going to go back to this study we've been involved in on Wednesday night. We are talking about kingdom principles for kingdom kingdom living. We have been kind of centered in this. We haven't kind of been. We have been centered in the Sermon on the Mount over the last several weeks. And we find ourselves in chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount down pretty close to verse 21 is where we left off last time. But before we do, let me just go back and cover a little bit of the information that we've been talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. As I shared with you, we're calling it Kingdom Principles for Kingdom Living. The Sermon on the Mount is written to those who are a part of the kingdom of God. So somebody tell me, how do you gain citizenship into the kingdom of God? How do you become a citizen in the kingdom of God? Does anybody know? Somebody. I hope somebody gets it right. Now, if not, I'm going to have to start testing every Wednesday night. Did you have your hand up, Brother Phil? How do you become a part of the kingdom of God? Very good, brother. Brother Phil got it right. When we trust in Christ as the Lord who saves, he becomes our Lord and Savior of our life. At that moment, we are born into the kingdom of God. Right now, that kingdom is a spiritual kingdom that we are all part of. Do you remember how I defined the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is Jesus Christ rule over our hearts and lives. Isn't that true? Isn't that what it is? That's the kingdom of God. So there is this spiritual reality of the kingdom of God right now that we are a part of the kingdom of God spiritually. However, there is not this yet reality of a physical kingdom that we'll be a part of one day as well. Do you remember what is written in the book of Revelation? Jesus Christ is going to defeat Satan 
and the enemies of the Lord at the battle of Armageddon, and he is going to reign for how long? A thousand years from the temple in Jerusalem. That will be a physical kingdom, the kingdom of God. So what we're looking at is we've been talking about what it means to really be a citizen of the kingdom of God. What does that look like? So what Jesus does in the Sermon on the Mount, he gives us some characteristics of the person who is a part of the kingdom of God, and then he gives us some principles that we can apply to our lives that will help us to live as citizens of his kingdom. The characteristics are found in the Beatitudes. Those Beatitudes, remember, the attitudes that ought to be in us. That's what they mean. I like that. The attitudes that are to be in every person that is a part of the kingdom. Then he goes on and he begins to share some different principles that are to guide our lives as kingdom citizens. I mean, if we're a part of the kingdom of God, we need to understand what it means to live in that kingdom, right? And so he helps us to understand what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God after he gives us the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes, the characteristics that are to be seen in our life. Now, I don't want us to mistake something here because sometimes people approach the Sermon on the Mount and they look at the Sermon on the Mount as a way to get into the kingdom. And that's not, what is, that's not the truth. That's not what Jesus is teaching in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He's not trying to show us how to get into the kingdom. When we trust Christ, we are born into the kingdom. He's wanting to show us how we should live as a part of his kingdom. You see the difference? You know, so we're born into the kingdom by faith in Jesus Christ, trusting in him. Once we're born into that kingdom, what characteristics should be seen in our lives as kingdom people? What principles should guide our lives as kingdom people? That's what Jesus Christ is telling us. So I don't want you to approach the Sermon on the Mount and think, well, oh my goodness, I can never be a part of the kingdom of God. I can't live all of this out in my life. Well, let me just say this. None of us can live this out in our own strength. You can work yourself to death trying to live out the principles of of kingdom living in your life, and I can tell you, you can't do it in your own strength. We need the strength of someone else. Now, this is the good news. When we trust Christ, God gives us the person of the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that gives us the power that is necessary to live in the kingdom of God, to live this out in our life. We can't do it in our own strength, all right? We need the help of another We need supernatural person in our life, supernatural power infused into our life through the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live this out in our life. Walking daily under the control of the Holy Spirit, we can live out the truths, the principles that we find in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's only as we live in complete surrender to Him. So beginning in verse 21, what Jesus does, verse 21 down through 47 Jesus is going to make these six antithesis statements. And really what Jesus Christ is doing is he's taking the understanding of the Pharisees, their understanding of the law, and he is contrasting it with the true meaning of the law. Remember, what was the belief of the Pharisees? They believed 
they can make themselves right with God by following the law. You remember what the theme of the Sermon on the Mount was? Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the scribes, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. You'll never be a part of my kingdom. Do you know what Jesus is saying? You need a supernatural righteousness. I mean, think about it for a moment. The Pharisees were the most religious people of their day and time. If they couldn't get into the kingdom of God on their own merit, their own way, it was utterly hopeless. Can you imagine when Jesus told them that? They would have said, I can never be a part of the kingdom of God. If they can't, the most religious people can't be a part of the kingdom of God. That was the point Jesus Christ was making. They had a self-righteousness. You can't get into the kingdom of God based on a self-righteousness. You can never be good enough to earn yourself into the kingdom of God. You can't. You can try to stop doing bad and start doing good. You still can't get in. As long as you think you can get yourself into the kingdom of God, you can't. It is only as we trust Jesus Christ that we're born into the kingdom of God that we get entrance into his kingdom. That's the point that he was making. Praise the Lord for that. You don't have to lay your head on the pillow tonight and ask yourself the question, have I done enough to be accepted by God today? Because, see, it's not merit-based. It's about our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus Christ makes these contradictory statements. He keeps making this statement at the beginning of every one of these sections. This is what he would say. You've heard that it was said to those of old. And then he makes a quote. Remember the one we looked at a couple of weeks ago? You shall not murder. But listen to what Jesus says. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You know what Jesus Christ is doing? You remember that statement I made to you a couple of weeks ago at the very beginning? I said, most of us have heard this old saying. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Jesus is getting to the, the heart of the matter is what he's doing. And this is what he's saying. The law is not about outward acts. The law is a matter of the heart. That's what he's saying. You see, it's an issue with the heart. The outward acts are just a symptom. Our outward deeds are just a symptom of a much greater problem. The problem is the issue with the heart. And that's where Jesus Christ is boiling it down to. He's saying, at the heart of the, at the, at the, heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That's what Jesus Christ keeps taking them to. It's not about behavior modification. That's not, that's, that's not what, you see, the Pharisees, man, they were experts at behavior modification. Jesus Christ says, that's not what it is. You need a heart change, is what Jesus is saying. It's a matter of the heart. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Because Jesus is not saying the desire is the same as the deed. I don't want you to leave here tonight saying, well, you know what? If I get angry with someone, well, I might as well just kill them because I've already committed sin anyway. 
You see what I'm saying? That's not what he's saying. I don't want you to leave out here. That's not, Jesus is not saying the deed and the desire is the same. And we don't always need to act on the desires of our heart. I'm not telling you every time you get angry with somebody, just say, well, I've sinned. Well, I just need to go ahead and kill them. I've, I've already sinned anyway. That's not what he's saying here. I don't think we need to confuse that. He's not saying because we feel angry towards someone, it's okay to go ahead and murder them. That's not what he's meaning. The desire and the deed are not identical. But from a spiritual standpoint, they are equivalent to one another, is what Jesus is saying. Do you see the difference? Do you see what Jesus Christ is saying? So Jesus Christ moves away from the outward action, and he moves to the inward, to the heart. Because, you see, oftentimes we want to try to reduce sin to what we do and don't do. Don't we like to do that? Well, I didn't cuss today, or I didn't hit anyone today, or I didn't, you see what I'm saying? And we reduce it to this outward act. But think about it for a moment. When a person commits murder or a person commits adultery, the act has taken place in their heart. The desire has taken place in their heart long before the outward act has ever taken place in their life. That's what Jesus is saying. You see, the outward act is just a symptom of a much deeper problem. You see, what Jesus is saying is every person needs heart surgery. At the end of the day, we all need a new heart. When we have a new heart, then it affects the act or the deed that we do, is what Jesus is saying. So first, Jesus Christ dealt with anger, and now he's going to go on. Brother Phil, you were wanting us to move on, so we're going to move on this week to that next one, all right? Because we dealt with anger, and you say, can't we move on, Brother Jeff? Well, we're moving on this week. We're going to move on to lust. All right, brother? So, (laughs) yeah, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to find verse 27. We're going to work through these verses tonight. And then what we're going to do, we're going to jump back. I'm going to share with you three observations that I saw as I read through this text, just three things I observed. And then I want to offer you some steps that will help you to walk in purity of heart in your relationship with the Lord in all areas, not just sexually, but in all areas of our life. So let's listen to what it is that Jesus Christ has to say. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. So let's just stop right there. The first thing that I observed in this passage of Scripture is this, Jesus Christ quotes from the Ten Commandments. Does anyone know what commandment it is that Jesus Christ quotes here? What number it is? It's number six. That's right, Miss Jan. This is the sixth commandment that Jesus Christ quotes. The admonition is plain and simple. It says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And what Jesus Christ was saying when he makes this statement A married person is not to have a sexual relationship with any other person outside of his or her spouse. That's what it means. To commit adultery in the Old Testament, when we look at the Ten Commandments, meant to have some kind of sexual relationship 
with a person other than your spouse. And the Bible says, don't do that. And the reason the Bible tells us that is, first of all, God protects the sanctity of marriage. He also knows when adultery enters into a relationship, it destroys the marriage and it erodes the family. So God says, that's not what I want you to do. Don't be involved in kind of that kind of relationship. I'm the one who has instituted marriage and that is hands off. It is only that kind of relationship is only between a husband and a wife. Now, I will say something. The scripture takes this command so serious. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament law, if a person was caught in the act of adultery, Moses told the people to take the person outside of the camp and stone them to death, to put that person to death. I mean, oh my goodness. I mean, that's pretty harsh, isn't it? Do y'all remember the story that is found in John chapter 8? We looked at it when we went and we studied through the gospel of John. The woman who was caught in adultery, I think it's eight, John 8, isn't it? Or is it John 10? I think it's John 8. I'm almost certain it is. But anyway, you remember what happened? The Pharisees caught a woman in adultery. They brought her to Jesus Christ. And you remember, what should we do with this woman? Well, according to the law, what should have they done? Well, according to the law, they were to take them out and they were to stone them. But do you remember how Jesus Christ responded? Let you who is without sin cast the first stone. But I want you to understand that this was a very serious commandment that was given to the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Now, understanding when Jesus Christ was speaking those words to those people, he wasn't trying to diminish the sin that the woman had committed. But what Jesus Christ was doing was bringing true understanding to the law. Because you see, they viewed, the Pharisees viewed, the act or committing adultery as the act, the physical acts of having a relationship with another person. Jesus Christ said, it's really not that. It's a matter of the heart. Even when he was teaching at that point in John chapter 8, he brings it back to the heart. But he starts here, and the first thing that I notice is that he quotes this commandment, said, you shall not commit adultery. Now listen to what Jesus Christ says. He's going to take it a step further. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Do you see what Jesus Christ has done? He's moved the law from this outward act of sin, and now he's done what? He has made it a matter of the heart. Do you see that? Now, what I want you to notice in this verse right here, verse 28, is the verb that Jesus Christ uses because the verb is the key to understanding what it truly means to have a lustful heart. Listen to what he says. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman, if you want to, you can underscore that verb there, looks, the verb to look. is such an important word that he uses here. Now, this is the question I want you to, uh, uh, I want you to consider tonight. Is, I mean, is it possible for a person to look at someone of the opposite sex 
and behold their attractiveness without lusting after them. Is that possible? Is that what Jesus Christ is saying? That we should never, ever behold the beauty of someone of the opposite sex? Is that what he's saying when he says we shouldn't look at them? No, that's not what Jesus Christ means when he uses this verb to look. Actually, this verb here, to look, is much more than just a casual look. The verb means a constant stare, a longing. The actually the verb in the Greek is written in the present participle. And when a verb is written in the present participle, this is what it means. He's saying when a person keeps on looking. There's a different intent. It's more than just seeing someone of the opposite sex. Me seeing a woman and saying, well, that's a beautiful woman. Or a lady seeing a man and saying, well, that's a handsome man. And then they go on their way. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He takes it to a whole different step here. And really what Jesus is referring to here when he uses this verb look, it means a gazing and a lingering upon a person that objectifies someone who is not your spouse is what Jesus Christ is saying. They become an object for pleasure is the way you see that person in your mind. And at that point in time, what Jesus Christ says, that is sinful, that is lustful, is what Jesus is saying. At that point, you have committed adultery in your heart. What Jesus Christ has done, he has gotten to the undeniable and the unavoidable truth here in this passage. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That is what Jesus Christ is trying to help people to understand. It's not just about an outward act. You see, the real issue is an issue of the heart, is what Jesus is saying. So let's go back and let's listen to what else Jesus Christ is going to say. Look with me here in verse 29 and verse 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. So the third thing that I noticed when I read this passage of Scripture is I want you to notice the seriousness with which Jesus Christ treats this particular sin. Did you hear what he said? If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Now, I think that we do a very, a very mu- a, a huge injustice to this passage of Scripture when we try to skirt around the words of Jesus Christ. Because the words that Jesus Christ is sharing here with us are very significant. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ is treating the sin of adultery in a very serious way. But let me ask you a question. Are we to take literally what Jesus Christ is saying? So let me ask you, maybe I can better answer it this way. Everybody hold up both hands. So I can tell that y'all are not literalists, right? Everybody has all their hands. 
Now, some of us are wearing glasses, and I don't see anybody that's missing an eye right now. So when Jesus Christ makes this statement here, we're to cut off our hand if it causes us to sin, or we're to pluck out our eye if it causes us to sin. It's Jesus Christ saying, if our hands cause us to sin or our eye causes us to sin, should we literally cut them off or should we literally pluck them out? Is that what Jesus is meaning? Now, I will tell you, there's some places in the world who take this literal. Have you heard of those places? There's some religions that cut people's hands off for stealing. There's some religions that pluck people's eyes out. Do you see what I'm saying? When they look at things that they believe to be inappropriate, there are some people. As a matter of fact, I remember in the first church that I pastored, there was a guy. He was a great guy. He had a great heart, but sometimes he would use the word of God as a hammer to beat people up. I preached a passage of Scripture one Sunday, and in the passage of Scripture, I told or I said, I made the statement uh, to the congregation. I said, now, I want you to realize there are several different approaches to this passage of Scripture. I said, some people believe the words of Jesus Christ are literal words. I wasn't teaching out of this passage. It was another passage in the Bible. And I said, other people take these words to be figuratively. And uh, so I didn't tell them which way I viewed the passage of Scripture. I was just sharing with them that people approach the passage of Scripture differently. On a Sunday morning, he came in early before church to have a conversation with me. And when he sat down and visited with me in my office, he uh, wanted to try to convince me that what I had said was wrong to the congregation, that I had said that the Bible was figurative and not literal. And I said, well, that's not what I meant. And this is what he told me. He said, well, I want you to know something, Brother Jeff. I'm a literalist. I take it all to be literal. I turned to this passage of Scripture, and I said, well, brother, we need to go home and get the hatchet. He changed his tune at that time, you know. So my question is, are the words of Jesus Christ here to be taken literal? Are we to go around cutting our hands off and plucking our eyes out? Or is Jesus trying to say something different to us? Well, I think it is that Jesus is saying something different to us. I don't think that Jesus is saying we need to cut our hands off and pluck out our eyes. But I do think that Jesus Christ wants us to understand something very important. This is a serious sin. And when you find yourself in this situation, you need to deal with it immediately and decisively. Don't put it off. It is serious. You know what Jesus is saying? I, I, or what, what the Lord is saying here? What the Lord is saying is God takes marriage seriously. That's what he's saying. He takes the marriage vows that we make because, you see, sometimes I think we misunderstand marriage. Marriage is a covenant made between two people before a holy God. And I'm going to tell you, when we make covenants before a holy God, he takes it seriously. Now, please understand when I say this, I understand. And we're going to look at divorce next week. I'm not saying that divorce is the unpardonable sin. That's not, please don't leave out of here. I'm not saying there's not forgiveness when someone commits adultery. I've had some good friends that have found themselves in that situation. And I'm not saying God doesn't forgive when we find ourselves. God is a God of grace and mercy, and he's willing to restore and offer forgiveness when we are truly repentant in our heart. That's not what I'm saying. 
But what I'm saying is this. Jesus is trying to help us to understand the seriousness in what he's saying to us and what he wants us to understand. You need to guard your heart is what Jesus is saying. You need to guard your heart. You know, the Bible says that the heart is the wellspring of life. You know, I would encourage you, you need to be careful what you are taking in through the lenses of your eyes because what you take through the lenses of your eyes and what you hear through your ears affects your heart. In America today, the sin of adultery is glorified. I mean, think of it. Turn TV on and look at Hollywood. It is glorified all over TV. As long as, as, you know, it's no longer important if we're faithful in our relationship with our spouse. And God says that's not true. It's a serious sin. We need to guard ourselves against it. Not that we can't find forgiveness. Not that we can't be uh, experience restoration in marriage when someone gets involved in that kind of sin. It can be. I've seen it happen in people's lives. But what I want to encourage you to do is to guard your life. Guard your life. Protect your life. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you look at. Be careful what you take into your mind. All of that affects your heart. So let me offer you some steps that we can take to ensure that we walk in purity in our relationship with the Lord. Because what God desires of us is purity. The three steps that I'm going to give you actually come from a man who's named Sinclair Ferguson. I want you to just listen to him. Number one. When it comes to lust, we must deal with the real cause of the sin. We must deal with the real cause of the sin. Jesus said the real cause of the sin of lust is an impure heart. That is the real cause of it. That's what we must stop. You see, really, I don't know if you've ever thought about this or not. Lust is idolatry. Did you know that? Lust is idolatry. Anything that we look to to bring fulfillment in our life other than the Lord is idolatry. Lust is idolatrous because we're looking upon someone else to bring fulfillment to us. That person at that time becomes our God. True fulfillment in life is found in the Lord, not in the things of the world. It's idolatry when we look to other things rather than God to bring fulfillment in our life. And it doesn't matter what it is. It may not be lust, it may be wealth, or it may be prestige, or it may be power. It can be anything that we look to in life to bring a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment 
to us other than God. At that moment in time, that has become our God, whatever that may be. So the question that I want to encourage you to ask yourself tonight, and I ask myself today, is there anything in my life right now at this moment that is taking the place of God? Is there anything that I'm looking to in this world to bring me fulfillment that can only be found in my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, even in a marital relationship, true fulfillment in a marital relationship can't take place if God is not at the center and we're not looking looking to Him to bring us fulfillment in every area of our life, even in our marital relationship with our spouse. Do you see what I'm saying? So is there anything in your life right now that you are looking to to bring a sense of fulfillment? A person other than the Lord? Wealth, materialism, prestige, power can be any of those things. Second, when it comes to the sin of lust, we need to act decisively and immediately even if it is painful even if it is painful remember walking in obedience before the Lord is not up for negotiation for the kingdom citizen we don't get to bargain with the Lord about that it's not like we sit at the negotiating table with the Lord And we're back and forth. Well, you know, now, Lord, I like these three commands, but these other three commands over here, well, you know, I just just don't think I want to deal with those. Walking in obedience to the Lord is not up for negotiation. As followers of Jesus Christ and as citizens of another kingdom, we are called to walk in obedience to the Lord. Now, let me just pause right here. Because there's a very fine line in walking in obedience out of obligation. That's what the Pharisees did. And walking in obedience out of love in our heart for the Lord. You know, there's a difference, right? You know, like when I was growing up in my father's house, I I obeyed my father out of obligation. Because if I didn't obey my father out of obligation, he applied the belt to my backside. So I was obligated to obey. You see what I'm saying? Do you know what? My father wields no power over my life now. He cannot make me honor him, respect him, or obey him in any of his wishes. I make my own living. I have my own family. He can't make me do any of that. But you know what? I respect him, honor him, and obey his wishes because I love him. And the last thing in the world I would ever want to do is bring disappointment to my father. You see what I'm saying? That's the way we ought to obey the Lord. Our obedience unto the Lord shouldn't be out of obligation or fear. Our obedience unto the Lord ought to be out of love in our heart toward the Lord. I don't want to disappoint him. I respect him, I love him, I care for him, I I care about him. And the last thing that I would ever want to do is hurt my father in heaven. 
see the difference? So when it comes to the sin of lust, we need to act decisively and immediately, even if it is painful, even if it is painful. I will tell you, when lust enters into a person's heart and it begins to control their life, rooting it out is painful. It's not always easy. Number three. When it comes to the sin of lust, we need to realize that our lust is not the whole, main, or most important part of our life. Oftentimes, people who struggle with the sin of lust are consumed by it. It controls the decisions and the choices that they make. Have you ever seen someone who is addicted to pornography? Man, addiction to pornography is rampant in America today. It's at a touch of a button. It's a touch of a button. As a matter of fact, a study recently said that probably 50% of all Christian men in America today are addicted to pornography. As a supervisor on the mission field, I had to deal with more than one missionary that had a pornography addiction. It controlled their life. I remember Dr. Rankin saying one time the saddest part of him being president of the International Mission Board, there was never one meeting that he had with the trustees in his 20-something years that he was with the International Mission Board that there wasn't a missionary that had to be dismissed due to sexual sin for 20 years. They met once a quarter. Every quarter, at least one missionary had to be terminated from the field due to sexual sin. I will tell you, it runs rampant in people's lives. It is one of the most addictive sins that a person can ever be involved in. But you need to realize that your lust is not the whole, main, or most important part of your life. Think about it for a moment. Think about what is gained by repenting of that sin and walking in obedience to the Lord. Everything that was lost, the loss of fellowship and joy and peace of walking in relationship with the Lord, all of that is regained if a person is willing, willing to honestly deal with the sin before the Lord. Because this is what's great. Jesus came to rescue us from our sin. And if we will treasure him above all else in life, he will forgive us of our shortcomings and he will restore us. Listen, sin is a cruel taskmaster and loves to use lust to keep people enslaved to their sinful desires. But when we truly treasure Jesus Christ above all else in life, listen to me, your eyes, your hands, and your body will happily follow you. When you treasure him above everything else in life. You see, it really boils down to that. Do I treasure Jesus Christ in my heart 
above everything else that this world has to offer. You see, whatever the world has to offer is all temporary pleasures. I'm not saying it may not seem fun for a season. Paul even says that it's fun for a season. But I will tell you, it will always take you further than you're willing to go and cost you more than you're willing to pay. The sin of lust. The only way to root out of a heart the sin of lust is to treasure Jesus Christ above everything else in this world. And know this, if you have found yourself in that situation, there is a God who loves, a God who's willing to forgive, and a God who's willing to restore. He will offer you his grace and mercy if you would just turn to him and cry out and say, Lord, I need you to restore me. He'll restore to you the wonder of the fellowship and the peace and joy of walking in right relationship with him. All right. We're going to stop there tonight. So I hope that gives you a little something practical to take away with you tonight as you're thinking about walking in purity in your relationship with the Lord. I will tell you, it's challenging to do that in the world we live in. We are a world that is inundated by the sexual. You you need to guard your mind, your heart, your eyes. You need to protect yourself. You need to protect yourself. And you need to be careful about where you go, what you listen to, what you watch. Because remember, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. All right, we're going to finish up right there, 728. I'm going to give you an extra two minutes. You know, I didn't take all the time tonight, so I'll bar next time from you, all right? And so thank you all for being here tonight. And this will be our, uh, I will finish up tonight uh, for the year. We will be back together the first Wednesday of January. So we'll be back together at that time. I look forward to seeing you on the first Wednesday of January. I believe that is the 6th, the 6th of January. So the next two Wednesdays will be off. Don't forget that we are having uh, a Christmas Eve service this year. If that's something you would like to bring your family to. We would love to have you. We're going to have a candlelight service that starts on the 24th at 6 p.m. And so Brother Andy is diligently working on that to bring all that together. Uh, We'll have worship this Sunday. Look forward to seeing you for it. Uh, It's been good to see you here tonight. I appreciate you coming out on a very cold December night. It is cold. And so let me have a word of prayer uh, for you as I send you on your way, okay? Father God, we thank you for your love and just the message that you have given us through your word tonight, Lord. And Father, my prayer is is that we'll be a people that will guard our hearts, Lord. They are the wellspring of life. And Lord, we recognize in our own strength we can't do it. We need your spirit to help us, Lord. So Lord, we're grateful for your grace and your mercy. For the times we come up short, In our relationship with you, Lord, I am so very grateful that you are a forgiving God. Guide us and direct us as we go out this week. I pray that we bring honor and glory to your name in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here tonight.